0: For those tough wake ups. Stats are misleading. It's Marsh and Mellow. Nature Foul. Wake up to Serious Sports Talk. He fist is it! It's Marsh. The CFL, baby, and Mellow.
1: I love Canada. It's Marsh and Mellow. This is football! For those tough wakeups. They're heating
0: up! It's
1: Marsh and Mellow. Coming your way, Hamilton. Wake up to Serious Sports Talk. Gas tank
0: gonna be full! It's Marsh. In Canada and Mellow. Why not, right. eh? It's Martian Mellow. Thank you, Canada.
1: Everybody's doing it. Uh, uh, good morning, everybody. How are you today? Kyle Mellow, how are you doing? Things are good.
0: I'm doing well. Yourself? Uh, that was my
1: <laughs> Mad Dog Russo impersonation because I'm trying to find ways to fire myself up <laughs> at the end of the regular season to talk about what we just watched at the end of the regular season not uh, and because there was not a whole lot that mattered unfortunately but that's okay because we have a great slate of playoff games coming your way this weekend before we get to all the action around the Canadian Football League here the recap as always for you on Marsh and Melo. I do want to say a huge thank you to our sponsors Fox 40 and Sawdust City Brewing if you want to get back in the game be heard on the field with the Fox 40 Sonic Blast CMG 120 decibels of sound power that'll destroy your quarterback's ears if you're blowing in the three-minute warning behind him. Uh, The Sonic Blast can be heard over even the loudest of crowds. Shop now at fox40shop.com Use the code CFP15 at checkout for 15% off of your order which, by the way, usually I wouldn't say this because I want you to use the CFP15 promo code, but if you go to our social media at CFperspective they have an even better deal going on right now as part of their Black Friday stuff. So, if you just want to use that promo code and then just like send them a tweet being like, hey, I found this promo code because you're partners with CFP, that's cool too. Just let them know that you care about them. That's all we ask. Can
0: you stack promos? That's what Ooh. I want
1: to know. Noah's great. I bought uh, recently a massage gun, like one of those personal massage guns that you just like use. Oh, the Chris Van
0: Zyle special.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> but, but the thing is like, uh, Chris Van Zyle is smart because he essentially got a an attachment that would go into a Ryobi impact drill and, and he would just use that, which is like totally way more cost effective. This one, thankfully for me was covered by insurance, uh, which was great because it was either like massage or massage products was what it was listed as. So I checked with, uh, my insurance provider and they said, yeah, sure. Those are covered. And then to make it even better and more affordable, I just went on Google and I typed in the name of the company who, I will not give credit because I reached out to them and I said, I love your product. I use it every day. Would you like to be a sponsor of the Canadian Football Perspective Podcast Network? Because we've got a lot of football players and ex-football players and a lot of people that need massage therapy in their life and might not have the budget, might not have the insurance or whatever. I said, "This, this would actually be your clientele. You should reach out. And they said, sure, we pass you on to our marketing department. Classic. Never heard back from them. So you don't get a shout out. You don't get a shout <laughs> not using the brand name, but this massage gun thing that I got, it was just like an IG pushed ad and I got it. And, uh, and <laughs> I mean, I basically try to use it on, on various parts of my body that just like hurt, it. you know, my neck's a little messed up and I got tight hips and all this stuff. Yeah, And, it, and it's great, but I'm telling you, if you turn this thing all the way up, oh, it hurts. You will rip your body in half. You will. you will, And and the other thing that's really interesting is, if you hit a bone or any relatively rigid surface, you will destroy that. Like you will end up with deep tissue bruising in that because yeah. there's times contusions where all over. And I'm not a I'm not a big <laughs> thick muscular guy, so there's times where I'm like going through here and i'll like hit my collarbone and all of a sudden it goes from massage because it's just like vibrating like a billion times yeah yeah. i mean it goes from massage to just like feeling like somebody's taking a a, like a jackhammer or like a nail and a hammer (laughs) to my collarbone i'm like ah i don't know maybe i should have just gone with the massage maybe that would have been a good call (laughs) Uh, but uh, sawdust city brewing as well we're trying to cook up a great event for you Uh, it's in the works we hope it comes to fruition we're looking at possibly great cup friday Uh, maybe break up Thursday if the place that we're looking at hosting it is uh, only available on the Thursday we shall see how that turns out I'm going to go discuss that over a pint with them this week which I'm very much looking forward to Uh, if it does happen it'll be in the downtown Hamilton core so if you're interested and you want to come out hang out with CFP maybe it's with us maybe it's with Derek Taylor in being in town. Maybe it's uh Connor and Wade from all Canadian and the OUA show. We're going to be there. Maybe Winnipeg sports talk daily. Maybe we get some more people to come out. Maybe Rod Black shows up. Who knows? Ooh. I, I
0: haven't, I haven't talked to Rod Black. That would With be great DT, <laughs> this could get big. All the Riders fans coming into town, the Riders, mm, If everything goes to script in the CFL, will not be in the great cup. Cause they'll probably lose to the bombers in the West final, but that would be a, uh, That'd be uh, pretty fun if we could get the, the rider contingent out there, Atkins contingent out there. Yeah. All in good fun. Yeah, absolutely. We'd do a little podcast, maybe do some trivia,
1: do some uh, some giveaways. And I believe Sawdust is looking at releasing a special beer uh on the night that we are going to do this event as well which nice. be kind of, which would be kind of fun it's like a 4.5% logger so nice easy drinking that you can enjoy as you're hanging out with friends and talking football and all the rest so uh, that would be very fun we hope that that comes together but for now go to their website and uh, and support them uh tag them on social media let them know that you enjoy the podcast cuz they have supported us from the very very beginning uh all right off the top here i just wanted to say thank you to the OUA uh for the Yates Cup invite i was on the sidelines for that game on saturday in kingston uh, the new Richardson Stadium is beautiful. Best part of the game is listening to Mark Lee in my ear as a play-by-play guy <laughs> for the CFL, getting a chance to listen to Mark Lee in my IFB for just three hours was like, I'm doing my job as a sideline reporter, but I'm also just kind of studying Mark Lee because he's amazing. And I grew up listening to him call games on CBC. So that, that was really, really cool um, to be able to listen to him. Uh, worst part of the game, I'm not a good sideline reporter. <laughs> like, like it's it's tough. Like I have to, I have a lot of respect for what Chine- It's very very reminiscent, Kyle, to me of um when I started doing play by play. Immediately, all critiques I had of play by play people just vanished. I was like, oh, this isn't as easy as I thought it was. There's, <laughs> there, there's a lot that you have to accomplish in order to do this. I'm never criticizing somebody for doing this job again. And I've always been like, ah, sideline hits, you know, whatever. Twenty seconds, you get out of the way. It's fine. It's not that hard. The frustrating thing for me is that I had so much more stuff than I actually got into some of the stories because there was hmm. there's this one hit that I did where I was talking about the ghosts of Richardson Stadium because I grew up in Kingston and the old Richardson used to have this big track around it and I used to run there when I was in elementary school. I was joking with somebody when I got to Kingston that uh, I used to run the 100 meter and I would just kill it in Division 7. And then you would go to the all city track meet and I would like stumble out of the blocks and come last by six seconds in a hundred meter dash. Uh, (laughs) Because it turns out division seven being the fastest kid in division seven, not very fast compared to the rest of the city of Kingston. (laughs) Uh, And so anyways, I, this new stadium is beautiful, but there's so much history at, at old Richardson. And I went to these games out there where, I mean, Jesse Lumsden was playing for Mac and returns the kickoff against Queens. So I was there. Because one of the, the kids that I played basketball with, Reed levac his brother Roger Levac was the kicker for the Queen's Gales. And, like, mm-hmm. I remember watching Tommy Dennison and uh, and uh, Danny game which was super cool to interview him at halftime, and OCU Cuomo to see those guys down on the field because they were kind of, like, I was in grade 12 when they won that 2009 Yates Cup and went on to win the Vanier, So being around there was super, super cool. But I had this hit on kind of, like, because I asked Steve Snyder, the head coach of Queens, start of the week, hey, you know, w- what is it like to have this new building and how has it helped your program? And he said, well, I'll tell you one thing. When you play it and coach at Richardson Stadium, there's a lot of ghosts that are walking around the land because it might be, <laughs> it might be a new stadium, but it's a... And I immediately I'm like, this is kind of cheesy, but also I dig this answer because I'm like, there's a lot that you can do with that. When he says there's a lot of ghosts, so I, immediately I go, who's your favorite coast? And he said, Doug Hargraves, the old legendary Queens football coach. And I said, okay, great. Okay. And then, so I kind of tried to spin that on air into like, a, you know, a lot of history here, but this is the first Yates cup being played at the new Richardson stadium. I asked Steve Snyder about playing here and being on this this chunk of land. He said, there's a lot of ghosts that walk around this game. And right as I get to like my hook and the interesting part of like the ghosts and his favorite ghost, and you know, my smooth outline of, well, you know, coach Hargraves would be proud today to, to walk this sideline, a beautiful new building, all this stuff. They're just like, okay, you gotta wrap five for it basically just turned into me being like hey guys a lot of history here around Queens ghosts anyways back to you
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's like oh man this is tougher than I thought it was gonna be so at least you took it in a better direction than I thought you would because uh, we talked about it before on this show and uh, on CF perspective and that was how long it took to uh, get the new Richardson Stadium up and Mm -hmm. running (laughs) Well, that was that was actually the funniest part of the pre-Yates
1: Cup Zooms when I was on with Greg Marshall, the uh now victorious head coach of the one hundred and thirteenth Yates Cup presented by Milk2Go Sport. Um, that I I said to Greg Marshall, you know, oh, the new stadium, you know, going on the road, even though you guys have been great all year. He goes, It's it's probably the best stadium in all of Canada. It really is. It's it's gotta be the, the most inviting and the great fan environment and the way that the stands are set up and they're gonna build a field house down at that end, it sounds like, and no, no. So he's talking about it. And I said, well, Greg, isn't it great that Queens can finally use the actual stadium and their recruiting pitches instead of drawings of their stadium? Because I've told this story on TSN 1150 before. Glenn McKay was a very talented receiver from Windsor who's like a decade older than me. And one day I was throwing with Glenn when he played for the Ticats because it was December and all the American quarterbacks had gone home and I was back. Yeah. And so he reached out and he said, hey, can you come sling some, some rocks around with me? I said, yep. So I went through with him started talking about who recruited us and where we kind of grew up and stuff when we were taking a water break at one point and I said yeah Queens and he goes man I remember getting recruited by Queens they showed me all these drawings of of what the new Richardson Stadium was going to be like I'm like Glenn that was like 2003 (laughs) and he's like yeah and then I'm like I I was being recruited in like 2008 2009 and they give you the drawings they showed me the drawings in a pamphlet And so I said this to Greg Marshall. I'm like, isn't it nice that they can finally use the real stadium instead of the the pamphlet drawings? And he goes, ah, shit, we did that too. It's fine. Everybody does it. He's like, everybody, <laughs> everybody shows pictures. Everybody this and that. And I was just like, oh, that's so good. So, uh, and I actually told that story to Gord Grace too, who used to be uh, working out at uh, Mount Allison before he was you know various roles, but now the CEO of the OUA. Yeah. Which, which by the way, post game, just up, up on stage, and I'm like, let's welcome in. And I didn't i remember Gord's official title off the top of my head for some reason. And I was like, let's welcome in the head of the OUA. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, that works, too. Yeah, I know. But there's just like these little things that you're like, idiot. Uh, <laughs> but but the Mount Allison stuff, Gord Grace goes, yeah, when we were recruiting kids, we used to bring them. Uh, we used to take them to Moncton, show them to all these restaurants, all this great kind of nightlife and stuff. And then at night, we would take them into uh, to Mount Allison. And we'd hang out around the campus. And then, you know, we'd take them out the next day. and. Uh, it's like, and then they would actually come if they committed, they'd show up and it would be like the middle of the summer. And they'd be like, where are all those restaurants? Where are all the, it's like, oh, that's in Moncton. That ain't here. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, that's not what we recruited you over. But anyways, the, the fun and games of uh, of having those battles. Congratulations to Western. Uh, dominant performance, 29 nothing in the Yates Cup. I mean, it was systematic. It, Kyle, it is unfair how good. Not only Western is, like that. that's normal. Western's always very, very yeah. good. It is unfair how good they are for how young they are. Like, this is ridiculous. So Evan Hillick, who's their quarterback, a bit of a baseball background, he is uh, from STM. He's a Hamilton kid. Okay? so And he's a first-year. So you remember Jackson White that was at McMaster? Yeah. So, so Jackson White started the year as the Western starting quarterback. Okay? And then Jackson White, a couple of games into the year, I think it was the Guelph game, actually, that Western lost to Guelph. Greg Marshall just pulls Jackson White. He's coached his dad. He's known Jackson White since he was a little kid. Jackson goes to Mac, transfers back to Western to play for Greg Marshall. And then a couple games in the year, Greg's like, not getting it done, man. So he pulls him. <laughs> he put he puts in a first year from STM in Hamilton, St. Thomas More. And Evan Hill can just slate, like, rip it. Like, he's got this incredible arm. He's got a lot of learning to do and stuff. But he can he can just let it fly with anybody. So uh, he goes into the game, first year quarterback, okay? Just wins the eighth cup, 29-0 is the final. Trey Humes is in his final season with Western. He's fourth, fifth year, whatever. But Keon Edwards, who doesn't look like any really running back physically in the country. Keon Edwards is a first year. And he's running two, three touchdowns into the end zone in the Yates Cup as they're winning 29, nothing with a first year quarterback. Now, here's the really unfair thing. They've got this kid, third string running back. uh, Wanadi, I believe is his name. He might've got two carries in the entire Yates cup this past weekend. I had heard from him, from some people that are around the Western program saying he's probably the best of the three backs, but he's a first year. So he can't get on the field. Like Wanati goes in and immediately I'm like, there's, that guy looks like a CFL player. There's no, there's no way he's a first year. He's like six, four, two Oh five at running back. (laughs) He's a first year. Yeah. So is Keon Edwards. So is Evan Hillock. I'm like, they just won the Yates cup with the base. And again, offensive line matters. Receivers matter. D line. But quarterback and running back is the thing that always powers the success of the Western Mustangs behind those big bodies. And it's the decision-making and it's the athleticism that you need behind those big bodies to make plays. And this Winati kid,
0: it's like, he can't get on the field. He'd probably lead the country in rushing at any other school, but he's the third string at Western. Yeah. It's so I'm so glad you brought that up because, you know, after seeing the results from this weekend, I'm like, man, Canadian university football is becoming more like the NCAA where there's such a stronghold at the top, yeah. like, you know, Western, you know, 29, nothing in the Yates cup, you know, Saskatchewan, you know, beat up on whatever team they beat up on. And I'm like, none of these scores are close because these schools have just dominated recruiting. And then they dominate on the field. Like I remember Alabama, right? Yeah. you know Derrick Henry, fantastic running back who's his backup? Paul Scarborough, right? <laughs> and Scarborough, if he was at any other school, would be a Heisman front runner. Yeah. That dude could run the football, but he can't get on the field because he has an absolute beast in front of him. And I'm like, that that that's why these schools win championships, right? That's why Alabama has a five-star recruit as their backup right guard because he can't get on the field. I'm like, that's, that's, it's,
1: that's just the nature of the business. It's so true. I hadn't even thought of it like that, but it's so, so true. I, I also remember a, a quote of Lane Kiffin when he was the offensive coordinator for Alabama, where he said, I would start every game during warm-ups by looking down at the other end of the field. And I would see the athletes that they had and I would know some of the kids through recruiting and whatnot, but I knew our backups were more athletic than their starters. <laughs> yeah. And that's the same thing with Western. And it's not a shot. I mean, Queens is pretty young to their credit. Like Steve Snyder, I think, overachieved with that team. Say what you will about OUA East, OUA West, whatever. He he really brought that group together. And I think he did a fantastic job with them. Ryan Beckmanis deserves a lot of credit as well, working through the defense there with Queens because they were so solid all year. And they I will also say this in the first quarter, what as powerful as Western is and as dominant as they were, and as bad as the final score was lopsided the Queens defense did a pretty damn good job of being equally physical with Western, which is something that we really haven't seen this year in the OUA specifically. So, um, so anyways, congratulations to Western. I've got the call. I'm pretty excited about this. I'm actually calling the UTEC uh, bowl coming up this week. Nice. Dipping my toes back into the play-by-play water. Thank God. Cause geez, I mean, sidelines. Um, (laughs) but, uh, but I'm doing that one and it is, you know, usually, You end up getting, especially for me as kind of like the the number two team on the national uh, playoff games, you end up getting whoever the AUS is playing against, which might be unfair to them, but a lot of the time those games are lopsided. Uh, They they gave Mark Lee Western St. FX. I get to call the University of Montreal against the University of Saskatchewan. Like, that's a badass matchup. It is the champion of Quebec and the champion of Canada West going head to head, and I get to call that. So I'm really excited. And, uh, and that should be a fun one. I have no idea who I'm working with. Uh, I think I'm calling the game remotely, which is always not as much fun as it could yeah. be to be on location, but it's a great opportunity. And I believe it's on CBC across the country as well, which uh, is, is
0: pretty CBC cool. CBC has done a really good job in the last year, um, mm-hmm. you know, picking up all the university sports as well. And CBL stuff too. Like they've they've really yeah. started to, to invest in promoting Canadian sport, which I'm,
1: I'm a fan of. I think CBC does a great job with that stuff. Yeah, like
0: CBC uh, sports on their gem app. Um, this weekend, you could watch the uh, final of the U Sports uh, women's soccer. Nice. And uh, I think I went to a shootout and uh, yeah, it was just drama. So, yeah, CBC's done a, a very good job and that's the point of public broadcasting, right? right. It yeah. is to, you know, cover sports and and cover events that otherwise wouldn't get any coverage. Uh all right, let's dip our toes into
1: the CFL week number 16 as we mentioned recap a little bit of this before we take a quick look ahead at what is coming up in the playoffs. Uh I mean, I have pretty brief summaries of the games on Friday. Uh here are my thoughts. Good for Ottawa. And god do I love Nathan Rourke. like for me that was my takeaway it was i i don't think we can read much into many of these games over the weekend you obviously will have more in-depth thoughts on hamilton because you were there for hamilton sask but uh, i mean i was driving back from the yates cup on the saturday games i watched the friday games and for me it was uh (laughs) i i cringed a little bit during halftime when milt said i will grow my hair out if ottawa ends up coming back to win this because they just ain't i'm like I have learned so many times just do not make declarative statements in the Canadian Football League because they will not turn out well for you uh, because this league is just wild how you can get these topsy-turvy results and especially late in the season when it's like you know William Stanback is essentially resting and I mean it, a lot of things played into that but um, but Montreal ends up losing at home and that basically created a null and void situation for the tie cats the next day for the game that you were at. Um, How much did you feel like that changed Hamilton's approach, if at all, while you were watching that one? Because obviously Harker was going to play regardless.
0: Yeah. Um, It's interesting because I don't know the answer to that question. Um, I think they had the idea that Jeremiah was going to play in the first half, regardless of the circumstances that surrounded the game. Um, And to be honest, I don't think they were, and this is going to sound bad, but I don't think they were really worried about you know, a potential quarterback injury. I just don't think they were. Um, Look at the play calling in the second quarter for Jeremiah Masoli. Like they were running the football with Jeremiah. Like, I don't think they thought, okay, let's keep it easy. Let's run the football with a running back and let's keep Jeremiah upright and healthy because the offensive line in the game wasn't great. And, you know, we'll get to the, you know, Montreal Ticats game. I think it's – I think it's the biggest problem right now for Hamilton because that Alouette's defensive line, they get after it, right? Yeah. Lead a yeah. CFL and sacks this year. Like that team is very good. And again, playing the red blacks four times helps <laughs> those totals yeah. when you're, you know, I think the one game where they have 12 sacks or something <laughs> crazy like that. Um, so, but, but for Hamilton, I think you get the win. I don't think it's a confidence booster. Cause you look around the CFL did Winnipeg care about the game of Calgary. Uh, I don't know if they did. Um, you look at the Argos right on Tuesday, they play the Elks. Did they care about the results of that game? No, I, I really don't think that rhythm has a whole heck of a lot to do in, in the playoffs. Um, I don't think it carries over from the last game of the regular season. Um, but if you're a tie cats fan, I think the problems that you had going into the final week of the season is still going to be the problems that you have going to the playoffs now.
1: Yeah, interesting. I think there is some carryover there. And, and I'm with you on the rhythm thing because I feel like uh, that if you were playing a sport like basketball or hockey, we always talk about where it's best of seven and you're playing a lot of games. Yeah. That's that's great to get into a rhythm and hold it, but when you're playing a game like football, where all you have to do is play pretty good football for four quarters and you win the game, and if you're Toronto, I mean, you play four good quarters, you're in the Great Cup. That, that's the insanity of the sprint that is the Canadian football league yeah. playoffs. I always, always say that because it's every year when the playoffs roll around, that just jumps out to me how wild it is that we're in this spot where If you win your division, it's like, you can even be trash for a quarter and a half. As long as you're good for the other two and a half, you're probably in the great cup. It's (laughs) It's like, man.
0: The one thing I will say about how Friday's game played out with the Alouettes and Red Blacks. And again, you know, back to the topic of the Techettes quarterback picture. I think it bailed out the Cats, mm-hmm. And again, the result of the game, Saskatchewan was really bad. I thought Saskatchewan, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, even though they had some starters in there, but they also sat some people. Um, I think they had a lack of discipline because they were like, this is a free game for us. And, <laughs> you know, somebody brought up a good point in the press box. I wonder if the rough riders were still angry about the Zach play at the beginning of the 2019 season was well, that was, that was the last time they were at Tim Horton's field was that Zach game when he went to slide and Simone hit him. Yeah. Um, and it looked like some of the guys in the riders didn't forget about that, you know, coming into Hamilton and it, it looked like they tried to take their shot after the whistle a couple of times. Um, but I thought the, the, the result kind of bailed out the Ticats in terms of, the Ticats weren't really tested. They didn't have to test their quarterback situation, right? Yeah. I know Dane Evans you know, played and he threw two picks, so I'll get into that. But Jeremiah, because Saskatchewan didn't put much of a fight, I don't think he had to live up to this measuring stick of, does he inspire the fan base going into the playoffs? And I don't think he did, but here's the thing. I don't think he had to. Right. especially after that result on Friday.
1: Yeah, that's totally fair. I would say as well to the bad blood between Saskatchewan and Hamilton, I think some of that was um, carryover from week two because that was a bloodbath of a game in the early season. <laughs> remember, remember, it was like Hamilton goes into Winnipeg, loses in embarrassing fashion in the season opener goes to saskatchewan and i mean people were just looking for a fight the whole night it felt like in that one so um yeah i i think there was some carryover from that certainly and and i'm just glad that everybody got out of there kind of clean because it's yep. it certainly felt uh like it was um it, it was a, a relatively well played game all things considered I don't, I don't from what i saw some of the highlights and i went back through and watched some of the film that it seems like it was just like you say everybody trying to get in get out be clean i will say this hamilton's all black uniforms Up there for me as best uniform in the CFL, especially when you head towards a playoff blackout like they're going to now that they're hosting against Montreal this coming Sunday. But their their all black uniforms never look more badass than when they're playing against the all white Riders uniforms. Like every time that they go all black and the Riders go all white when they come in, I don't know why that is, but it just it looks so much better when you're surrounded by everything at Tim Hortons Field and. I I mean, the other part of this, too, is that Isaac Harker, whether he likes it or not or realizes it or or not, just because of his frame, his build and the way he plays the game. Do you remember the Aaron Murray photo when he was playing against Alabama? He threw an interception and he got blindside blocked back in like, I don't even know. This is probably a decade ago. This is a super obscure reference. But if you search Aaron Murray eyes on Google, it'll probably come up. (laughs) There was a picture that the CBS SEC team froze an image of Aaron Murray. At the last second, as he realized because he turned his head that he was about to be blindsided blocked, that he turns his eyes and they're just frozen. That's permanently how I think of Isaac Harker just playing football. He's just real, <laughs> realizing he's about to be killed,
0: and just constantly his eyes are like bigger than than his uh, his entire head. But uh, to be honest, if you know the Riders go into that game against the Stampeders, and you know, God forbid something happens to Cody Vichardo, yeah. I don't know if Isaac Harker is the best, uh, the second best quarterback on that roster. Uh, Mason Fine came in. I really like what I saw for Mason I didn't, Fine. I haven't seen anything yet. What did he show you that you liked? I just thought he was, and again, you know, comparing Ta'cat's quarterbacks, and the biggest thing I have is always, you know, Dane Evans, I, I find is more decisive than Jeremiah. I found Mason Fine was more decisive than Isaac Harker. I thought Harker kind of holds on the ball a little bit too long. Um, he has happy feet in the pocket, and I thought Mason Fine just was able to find a rhythm. Um, a little bit, and it was funny because before the game, I, I was looking at the depth chart because I never looked at Saskatchewan's depth chart before the game. Um, so I get to the stadium probably 45 minutes before kickoff, and I'm looking at the you know depth chart, and I'm like, fine, I'm like, uh, what <laughs> quarterback is this? I look up Mason Fine from North Texas, and he's a go. rookie. I'm like, hold on, did Dane coach him when Dane was at Northwestern? He didn't. Mason Fine's last season at North Texas was 2019. I'm Uh, like, man, that would have been a storyline for Shinetti if Dane Evans in the second half was going up against the guy he coached the previous year because the CFL season got locked out. Or not locked out, uh, you know, canceled because of of COVID. Um, Yeah, so I thought that was uh, an interesting thing. Um, But, yeah, I just think, you know, for, you know, the riders, maybe that's something you look at moving forward to give that guy a little bit more run.
1: Well, my takeaway from this, I think, was uh, Paxton Lynch had a real opportunity when he came to Saskatchewan at the end of the season to to stake his claim as, hey, I want to be here and I want to have some success. Because he said, Paxton Lynch did, that I'm I, i I'm not fooling you guys. I came up here because I want to prove myself so I can go back to the National Football League because I think I can play in the NFL. That dream has not died for me yet, but this is where I need to go to take my journey. And he's come in, He apparently he's put in the work, studied the playbook, all the rest. That's all great, but you are never getting back to the NFL unless you play. Well, he confirmed, or I think Craig Dickinson confirmed, the, yeah, he's unvaccinated, so he can't travel after the West Semi, so we're not dressing him because what's the point of having somebody on our roster who can't travel once we get into the final two weeks potentially of the CFL season? Yeah. And then you you add that in with the uh, federal government mandate that essentially said unvaccinated people will not be admitted across the border, I believe is what I saw that came down at the end of last week, well, that means that CFL players who are unvaccinated are not going to be welcomed back into the country at the start of the 2022 season if they come back in for April or May. That mandate could change.
0: And And it probably will. Like, everything's changed during COVID.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I would expect that it will change. But if I'm looking big picture at this, I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, Paxton Lynch, unvaccinated, so you're not going to travel, you're not going to play in the playoffs, you're not going to be worthy of giving a shot at the end of the regular season and if that stays in place you're not coming back across the border for 2022. Okay, thanks for coming out. Bye. See you. Like it's <laughs> the, like why did you come here then? Like if you yeah. it's it, not that he could have predicted what the mandates were going and,
0: to be, but it's yeah. just crazy. Yeah. And you know conversations with uh you know Steve Milton and people down there at Tim Hortons field. I know that's been a big sticking point. The the vaccinated unvaccinated um the 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 lack of games this year in the CFL cuz realize this. You know, to get, you know, American free agents to Canada for the CFL season, mm-hmm. they were taking a pay cut and they were taking a lot less money. And, you know, the way it is, if you're on a league minimum and now you go from, you know, an 18 game schedule to a 14 game schedule, you're taking a hit in the pocketbook. And some Americans are like, "Ah, oh, screw that. I'm not going to go to Canada. I'll wait until the you know 2022 season when they have a full, you know, a full campaign. Um and I know that's been, you know, very tough for people to, uh, for teams to, to, to get some people in, um, via free agency. And, you know, I think the, the other thing for, you know, the Ticats, you know, sticking with this game, I don't know what the hell the Ticats are doing with their kicking situation. (laughs) Like you bring in Dolmigala again, like we've seen this, like even when he makes kicks, it's not confident. Like the ball goes up and you're like, Oh, Oh crap. Uh, Okay. You got that one. And then he comes back out and he misses the second one. And it's like, I I don't know what the Tigers are doing. Like you sign, they signed Ferraro this week. Yeah. Um, Gabriel Ferraro. And then, you know, Bertollet. I don't know if he's injured or just on the practice squad. I think they let him go was the last It's Okay. So they just let him go. And now you bring in, you bring in the guy that you replaced with, I I have no idea what the Tigers are doing to kick the situation. (laughs) If that game against Montreal is close, I'm telling you, it's going to come down to a kick. And with all the pressure in the world, on zama i am not confident at all oh. and if you're orlando steiner that should be something that scares you going into sunday and i would also say head to
1: head that the better of those two kickers based on what we've seen this year is is uh david cote i almost said david because that's what i want to do every time somebody's named david <laughs> in their french uh-huh. but david, <laughs> david cote is, is the better of those two kickers based on what we've seen yeah. from this season so I, mean, I have to write an article today for cfl.ca on uh on exactly who has the advantage on in positional groups and in that E semi, I mean how could you how could you go with Hamilton? I understand Whitford's been pretty good, but you know, without knowing Zima's performance or or numbers off the top of my head, I would say um uh, that's that's not bad yeah at this point to to see that play out the way it is for for Montreal. I think that gives them some hope, I would say.
0: Okay. Now getting to uh Hamilton's quarterback situation. Yeah. You know I've been calling for weeks for Dean Evans to be the starting quarterback of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Jeremiah Masoli comes out in the first half. I thought it was sputtering um, for the most part. He gets into the end zone, you know, scores that touchdown. By the way, I think it was a missed call on the officials part. I definitely thought that was offensive pass interference. Um, the I can't even remember who scored the touchdown. Um, I think it was Don Jackson. Um, catches the ball beyond the line of scrimmage. And the DB gets picked off while the ball's still in the air. (laughs) Like, I'm like, that was definitely offensive pass interference. And then Craig Dickinson throws a challenge flag. Then the official Andre Pru goes to Craig Dickinson and explains something to him. And Pru comes on the mic and says, after giving the coach more information, uh, he has chosen not to challenge. Here's the thing. I think the information that Pru gave him was wrong. I think he told Craig Dickinson the block came after Don Jackson caught the ball, but if you freeze it, he definitely gets picked off while the ball's still in the air before Don Jackson catches it. So I think if you're Craig Dickinson, maybe don't listen to the referee when he tells you something <laughs> and listen to the guys upstairs, because if that's what he told you, that was wrong. Now, if he told you that the ball was caught at the line of scrimmage, I think it's one yard, right? So if you catch it within one yard of the line of scrimmage, but here's the thing it's damn close. Like, I don't know if he caught it. He definitely caught it beyond the line of scrimmage. Maybe it was less than a yard. But even at that point, it was a touchdown. Mm-hmm. And an offensive pass interference call is huge, right? So that you can, you know, back up the diecats and hold them to a field goal. Um, I think that was a, a play worth challenging for Greg Dickinson. But hey, final game of the regular season, maybe he's just like, let's get out of here.
1: Yeah, Right. I, th- I think there was a lot of that going on this weekend. Yeah,
0: so as for quarterback play. I thought Jeremiah was getting more in a rhythm. Here's the thing. Dane Evans comes out for the first drive, and that's the best the Cats looked the entire game. And again, circumstances of the game, Saskatchewan was just like, oh my God, let's get the clock down to zero. He comes out, and I thought the Ticats looked more in rhythm than they did in the first half. And that's my thing with Dane Evans. Dane Evans at his best. And it was funny because we named the podcast last week at his best love. I think at love, his best, love, love a good at his best conversation is in rhythm. And I seen his best more than Jeremiah now to the negative part of Dane Evans and what happened on Saturday, the interception, the first one he throws to Tim white. Here's the thing. I think it was 100% chemistry. Dane Evans. How many balls has he thrown to, to, to Tim white this year? Not a lot. Right. And, he throws the ball to Tim White. It looked like Tim White ran through the route. Now, maybe that was the drawn-up route, but I think Dane, Dane definitely thought he was going to sit down and coverage because when he threw it, he literally threw it behind him mm. as he was running. And I think he thought that Tim White was going to settle down in between you know, the two DBs and you know, catch the ball. Then, obviously, the ball goes to the safety and gets intercepted. Second interception, 100% on Dane. You can't sail that ball. He sails it over the receiver. It gets picked off. There was another play after the second interception with Jalen Acklin. It was a route into the flats, and Dane Evans threw it a little bit too far in front of Jalen Acklin. Acklin looked back at him, and he was just put his hands up. That's one hundred percent chemistry. Yeah. Like if you don't give the guy reps with his teammates, he's not going to look, you know, great. And that's my biggest thing coming out of the game. People are like, oh, you know, Dane Evans threw two interceptions. That's great. One of the interceptions was definitely chemistry. And I think the the lack of ability to move the ball in the second half, I thought was down to 100% him not getting reps with the first team. And I think if he would get reps with the first team, he can fix that. But here's the problem now. You're heading in to an East semifinal with a backup quarterback that probably has no confidence with his first team because he hasn't practiced with them. And now Jeremiah has more chemistry with, you know, those guys. And I think now you have to leave him in. I don't think you can bring Dane in. And I think it's 100% unfair to him. And, you know, Steve Milton was saying in the second half, you know, I'd like to see Jeremiah come back in the game. And I'm like, why is that? And he goes, well, let's say, you know, the East semi fi- semifinal happens or some, you know, playoff game happens in the next two weeks and Jeremiah struggles and, you know, Dane comes in and Dane's not doing the job. What happens to Jeremiah has to come back in? I'm like, that's a good point. <laughs> you
1: know, that's I'm like, because old... right
0: now it is not, you know, it's not sustainable uh for the Ticats and it's not, you know, a constant thing as it's been for the last little while in Hamilton. Um, but that would scare me. Second thing that would scare me, the offensive line, the offensive line was bad on Saturday. And that was going up against a Saskatchewan front that is good. Montreal's better. And now if you're Hamilton, what the hell are you going to do? This is a team that won in week three where they give up seven sacks against the Alouettes when they beat Montreal and Dane Evans beat Montreal. Um, You know, Jordan Murray at left tackle, not fantastic. I think foreign call needs to return. Now I don't even know the health status of foreign call. If he doesn't come back, um, you know, we'll see what happens, but right now that offensive line is an issue still. Mm, interesting. Yeah. I, I would uh, counter one thing
1: that you said there on, uh, Dane not having practiced with those players. They were splitting first team reps right throughout the week was what we had heard. So, but in game it's for different. the first time and how long, right. That's true. And, and I would say that in game matters a lot more. Like if you can find in game chemistry, there's nothing like that. And, and it's, mm-hmm. it's not easy to replicate in a practice, no matter what you try to do. So, um, I mean, I'm with you at this point. I think it's going to be Jeremiah going forward. I I know that Orlando Steinauer is not the type to, on a whim, ah, get him out of there, put Dane in, ah, get get Dane out of there, put Jeremiah back in. Like, I don't think he's going to play that back and forth game. And because he's just straightforward and he believes in in what he has in front of him, Jeremiah would have to have a... 2018 east final type of performance i think to get pulled and if you go back i think that's i think i have the right game if you go back and you watch that game remember that was the one in ottawa against trevor harris where trevor
0: 2017
1: i think it was 18 because trevor harris it was his final game in edmonton uh i sorry oh you're game, right you're right it was final, 2018. final game at home in uh in ottawa Uh, Before he left for Edmonton, because obviously he goes from there and goes to the Grey Cup and loses to the Calgary Stampeders in Edmonton. But um, I mean, in that game, Trevor was very good. Ellingson was a lot of yards after the catch. They ran the ball effectively and all the rest. But in reality, that game was lost by the Ticats on an incredible year because that was the June Jones year where the offense was flying up and down the field. Speedy Mm -hmm. gets, Speedy gets hurt at the end of the season. They're trying to backfill, right? Because he had the cracked collarbone or shoulder, whatever it was. Yeah. Um, And I mean, Jeremiah threw two horrific interceptions, like just awful, right into the middle of the, between the numbers on defenders with receivers, not even similar to the one he threw to Willie Jefferson back in week one of this year. Um, And and he's prone to that sometimes, but at the same time token he did end up going this year like uh, several hundred pass attempts without throwing a single interception until desperation time at the end of the Toronto game where he's just trying to make something happen because they haven't been very effective throughout the game um I looked at on cfl.ca last week I wrote about Masoli and the Ticats trying to kind of seize the moment and I looked at uh production grade and and percentage of called pass plays in kind of like an xy chart and Mm -hmm. and the reason I did this was I was kind of looking at like how often are they asking you to throw and how effective are you when you are throwing right it's like workload versus production and what I saw was that when when Jeremiah had his really two things when Jeremiah had his really really good performances weeks 12 13 14 obviously that was against weaker opponents we've talked about that they played Ottawa in that stretch they played Edmonton in that stretch But it was also, he was not being asked to throw as much because the running game was really effective. Don Jackson came in. They got Sean Thomas-Erlington more involved. Mm -hmm. um, And and that seemed like that was an important part of of their success with Jeremiah. Now, some of that has fallen off. In Week 15, they had to go super pass-heavy because they were trailing a lot of the game. The other part about this, though, that I found interesting is... I think people need to deconstruct. And, and again, you're a fan if you're listening to this and you're a Tigers fan and you're saying, no, they put Dane in no matter what. I love Dane, I love Dane. That's fine. You can have your opinion. I'm just telling you that this is, I'm not going to tell you how to view this, this debate. But my job as an analyst is to try and deconstruct and take away my own biases and narratives and just say, okay, but what really makes sense? Like, what are the numbers showing me? How to, and, and feel is different than numbers. But when I look at production grade offensively, on called pass plays for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. And again, quarterbacks are involved in more than just pass plays. Jeremiah's week 12, 13, 14 are the best performances of the season. Then you drop down behind that. Week 15, when he struggled, according to everybody, right? Because incompletions and oh, it seemed like it was awful and in the rain. Mm-hmm. Week 15 was as good as any performance that Dane had put out in terms of pass play production grade this year. Yeah. So and, and that's where I'm kind of like, okay, so why do we why are we so quick to jump on Jeremiah and say he's not producing? Get him the hell out of there. Dane's so much better. I understand Dane has a different feel. And that feel I think creates this narrative. I also think that there's just people love backup quarterbacks. I know I was one. Um, whether it's right or not, when when the number two quarterback shows you something. Your mind will then take that little seed, you know, that first plant that springs up in, in April or May, and it'll say, Well, that could turn into a massive tree. Why don't we? It's like, well, there's no guarantee it'll turn into anything. And, and it's not that yeah. I not that I'm doubting Dane, because I've seen him play at a very high level. But I do think that both of these guys are good enough to play when they're when they're playing at a high level. And uh the the numbers show that Jeremiah, when there's a little bit of balance running game involved, when the the play creation is is varied which tommy condell is very good at and when he's being accurate and smart with the football not throwing interceptions limiting turnovers he can absolutely get them to a great cup hell he can win them a great cup if they get some bounces against winnipeg in a four-quarter showdown um but as it stands right now yeah they're going into this game and they're they're kind of cornered because it's like well jeremiah better not do that 2018 east final thing because yep. if, if he does we're kind of pooched at that point i think is what they have to be thinking and they won't think that because they'll say well if, if that happens Dane goes in, Dane will just ball out and get us back into the game. But I don't know if that's realistic at this point because of everything you were talking
0: about. Yeah. And the only thing I would counter, you know, what you said about Jeremiah compared to Dane and Dane's production this season, also, Dane Evans was playing a, behind a horrendous offensive line. They say what you want about the offensive line. The offensive line is way better now than it was at the beginning of the season, yeah. right? Yeah. When Kay O'Kefer was playing left tackle, it was absolutely awful. Like that Montreal game. The Ticats, you know, won the game going away um, in large part because of their defense and the, you know, creating turnovers and things like that. Uh, But Dane Evans was running for his life. They get that win. Then they come back Labor Day against the Argos. That was probably the best performance of the Ticats season, considering the opponent. Mm -hmm. Right. And again, it was early in the season. We didn't know what this, you know, to expect from Toronto moving forward. You know, was Toronto for real or was that a flash in the pan at the beginning of the season? Turned out, you know, they were for real. So that's all I would say. And then that rematch after Labor Day when they played in Toronto and Dane got hurt before the injury. Again, the offensive line was really, really bad. And mm-hmm. I, I believe that was the last game that Kay Okafer played a left tackle. After that, I guess we like, oh, okay, we can't do this anymore. We got to move on. They right?
1: finally heeded Kyle Mello's suggestion for Marshall Mello.
0: Yeah. So that's all I would say against Dane's lack of production early in the season was he was playing behind a different offensive line than Jeremiah is. Jeremiah is playing against a suspect offensive line, but I thought Dane was playing against a offensive line or behind an offensive line. That was really, really bad. Um, So that's all I would say to to that point. Um, I think the quarterbacks look, they're very comparable Uh, and that's what I believe. Um, But I think Dane handles pressure. And I'm talking about pressure in his face more than Jeremiah, better than Jeremiah. Um, Because I think Dane is way more decisive. And I always talk about that decisiveness. Um, There was a couple of plays, you know, blocks break down, protection breaks down, and Dane finds a way to immediately get out. Jeremiah does this thing where he moves sideways. He'll try to slide out of the pocket and then his feet aren't really underneath him when he throws it. That Argos game is a perfect example. One of the interceptions, pressure, you know, to his right, he slides to his left. Um, I think he should have just took off and, and ran instead. He, you know, floated more backwards than anything, and his feet aren't set, and he sails the throw and it gets intercepted. And it's like that's the difference that I see between the two quarterbacks. I still think, you know, Dana Evans is a better quarterback, but at this point, I think it's completely unfair to throw Dane in that playoff game. And, you know, it might come down to necessity because Jeremiah maybe struggles in the first half and Dane Evans needs to, you know, save the day. Again, I think it's kind of unfair to him, um, but we'll see what happens. Here's the thing. If the Ticats go out against Montreal and protection is bad and Jeremiah's turning the ball over in the first half or, you know, second quarter, Dane Evans comes in. If the struggles continue, that's not an indictment on Dane Evans. I believe he's your you know, franchise quarterback moving forward. That's what I believe. Mm. Um, it might not be true. And realize this too. Dan Evans, free agent after the season. What the hell does that mean for Hamilton?
1: Isn't he, I thought he had sent like that three-year deal or whatever a couple of years ago.
0: Well, I think it was, no, I don't think it was a new contract. I think it was just a rework contract. So beginning of 2019, he signs a three-year deal and then they just gave him more money. I think it was more money than term. I, I, I believe, I could be wrong on that. I believe he's a free agent. If he is, there's no shortage of CFL teams. I wouldn't love to have Zane Evans in house. That's all I'm uh, saying. And if you have to make the decision on what to do moving forward, are you going to sign Jeremiah to, you know, another two, three-year contract? Here's the thing. And, you know, we've talked about it this year. Salary cap issues for the Ticats. The one thing Hamilton can't do, bring both of those guys back on big deals. Because if it screws you on the salary cap, it is going to be tough. And uh, final thing that is a positive for the Ticats Matthew Shinetti tweeted out during the game, he talked to Braylon Addison. Addison. It looks like Braylon Addison is healthy enough to to return uh, in that playoff game. So that's a huge asset to the Ticats because I talk about the protection, the protection issues for Hamilton. If it breaks down, Braylon, Braylon Addison's as quick of a receiver off the line of scrimmage as any in the CFL. And that's an emergency exit every single time. Um, option for the Ticats. I'll be interested to see.
1: I actually said, whoa, out loud when I read that tweet, as I was coming, (laughs) as I was coming home, I was in like Oshawa and I saw that. I was like, I didn't expect to see that tweet coming from Shinetti anytime soon. So that was, that was nice. I'm sure for, and I just like Brian Addison. He's a good dude. He's a fun interview and all the rest. So it'd be nice if he was in the fold there, but um, I'll I'll say this about, you know, we talked a little bit about Montreal's defensive line being uh, very aggressive. I, I think when you think of the big picture of the Alouette's defensive line, I don't think that we think of them as you know, particularly scary. But then you, you put together the pieces of it, and you're like, well, they moved Antonio Simmons to Edmonton in the Trevor Harris deal because Jamal Davis the second came on. And you watch Jamal Davis, and it's like, he's got that Willie Jefferson boom guachum type of, you know, A.C. Leonard body type at defensive end. Then Woody Barron on the inside is a really, really good interior pass rusher. David Menard is one of the best Canadians all of a sudden. It feels like out of nowhere just wrecking havoc and making a mess for people and then whoever you want to put at that other defensive line spot you can rotate through keep guys fresh whatever but those three woody baron david menard jamal davis all three of those at the start of the year i would not have said would particularly concern me if i were an, an offensive line in the east they've come on i mean they look really really solid together and and <laughs> the other funny thing that i find is i, I was voting as uh, you know i'm sure you did kyle for the east all-stars I didn't and vote this year. No? Okay, so the East All-Stars, I, I came... <laughs> I lost all credibility when the I <laughs> CSN went under. <laughs> um, so I I came about um, the Sam Linebacker vote. and started going down through it. Man, all of the unlikable dudes in the CFL East all play Sam Linebacker. And I was like... And, and I don't say this unlikable as a person. I mean, as a, <laughs> as, a, as a quarterback, the people that I would most hate to play against, like the unlikable, annoying dudes who constantly make plays. Chris Edwards for Toronto. Patrick levels in Montreal was on there. Uh, and I also saw, I mean, Greg Reed talks a lot for Montreal in the defensive backfield. So your favorite me.
0: CFL player, uh, Anthony Chiaffi is he a Sam linebacker as well.
1: Uh, yeah. He's been playing some free, free safety in BC. <laughs> he's been, uh, he's been doing some interesting things out there. Rick Campbell's had him <laughs> roaming around the second half of the season, but, um, uh, but yeah, it's funny the Sam linebackers. It's like okay, I'm I'm starting to see a type that's developing here, uh, which was kind of uh, unique. But anyways, oh well, even uh, in,
0: even in Hamilton, right, Camp Kelly. That's true, yeah, too. <laughs> right. Exactly, exactly. Where it's very, like, if you're on the other side, he is a, and a, a you know a fan of another team. He is a very unlikable character. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like,
1: but Montreal. The point I'm making is Montreal. They have a lot of players in that defensive back end behind Menard woody baron and jamal davis mm-hmm. that are annoying because they make so many plays and because they're constantly around the ball and they never shut up like greg reed patrick levels money hunter like those three dudes will not shut up the entire game and it becomes a question of if you are stephen dunbar tim white brandon banks how are you going to deal with that because montreal's defensive backs are going to make plays in this game and and yeah. i this is the fun of playoff football i wonder when and where the ticats decide you know what let's make one of these guys look like an ass. Let's let's double move this guy. Let's send a message. Let's score a touchdown on him and send a message and rattle his confidence for the game. And some of that might be very much like that Toronto game in week 15, where it's like, you know what, second play of the game, let's try a 50-yard double move on an out and up to Jalen Acklin. It's it's like, maybe you just do that to send a message and to get them. But again, the the scary thing of Montreal's defensive backfield is, if you try to take one of those vertical shots and send a message and they make a better play than you on the football, it only takes their, their energy, their emotion and their ego from here to here. Like it, yeah. it, it'll just, it explodes. And that's kind of how that defense is fueled, I think, in the way that they run. So, I mean, they're, they're a really good team. They, I mean, they could win the East for all we know, like they could go through two games. Do I expect them to No. Could they absolutely based on what we've seen, It depends on how Trevor Harris plays, but that's
0: all a possibility. Yeah. And to your point about, you know, potentially running a double move like they did um, earlier in the season, again, it comes down to protection. Can the Ticats slow down Montreal? Because, yeah. you know, first couple of plays of the game, but Jeremiah is standing in the shotgun with Don Jackson beside him and he runs a play action and then takes his three, you know, five step draw from there. If pressure is right in his face, you can have a, a a throw that comes up 15 yards short and gets picked off, something like that. I think it's going to be immense you know the 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 tie cats protect their quarterback and whether that's Nikola Kalinic uh, who by the way tried to hurdle somebody this week <laughs> like i was just like man a guy that big should not be able to jump like that and I, he just uh, did it i've heard that Kalinich
1: believes he's going to the nfl at really? the at the end of this year he's convinced that he's going to the nfl that seems like something you try to do when you're trying to create a highlight tape
0: yeah <laughs> is that why the dra- uh, is that why the tight cats drafted uh, Burt? I don't, I don't <laughs> think, by the that, way, I don't he's think the ghost, ghost that nobody has ever seen. I know he doesn't exist. he? <laughs> I, I,
1: I actually said that to somebody at the Yates cup that was, there was a CFL scout that was hanging around the field. They go, Hey, uh, can we call this Jake Bird thing a bus yet oh. or, or, or what? I was like, when do we, when do we call that race?
0: Yeah. By the way, this might be a perfect segue into uh, us talking about Saskatchewan Roughriders against the uh, Calgary Stampeders, Saskatchewan Roughriders fans. I apologize in advance. Because if you do beat Calgary and you have to go to Winnipeg for the West final, I'm sitting in the press box and this man with a mask on pokes me on the back. I look up, it's a guy in a bomber's hat. I thought because the mask and because of the man's frame, I thought it was Bob Irving. That's who Uh, I thought it was. little busy that day. Huh? little busy that day. Yeah. No, that's my point. Right. (laughs) So I, but I didn't compute that the bombers were also playing that night. So he's wearing his mask bombers hat. He asked me, Hey, um, do you have a depth chart? Because they don't print depth charts because of COVID because of whatever reason. Anyways, I had extra depth charts that I had printed out at home before I came to the stadium at a boy. So I gave him some and he's over there making notes. Turns out, He's a pro scout for the bombers. He was there to scout the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. So was it Danny Mac? No, 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 It, wasn't. <laughs> it was a, it was a thinner frame guy um, who also worked uh, for the Argos for a little bit. I never got his name, but he was talking to another individual and he said, oh yeah, you know, Zach, uh, you know, lived with me when he was uh, in Toronto, uh, before he uh, moved on to Hamilton really? and I was just like, huh, I wonder who that was anyways. <laughs> Again, I apologize to Rough Riders fans because if you come out in the West Final and you're like, this guy knows everything about us. Not realize that it was Kyle Mello's depth chart that did the job. And I apologize to
1: fans of the West in uh, Canadian football because we have to wrap up this show right now.
0: <laughs> get ready, get ready. Let's go, a little urgency. Here we go. Let's go.
1: We're almost out of here. This is the three-minute warning brought to you by... Today, it's brought to you by Taylor Cornelius uh, Backcountry Camping and Fishing Excursions because he's not playing football anymore. Thank God. Oh, my jeez. This, I can't tell you how happy I am to be done with the Taylor Cornelius experience. I mean, Edmonton in general, just in, the, in terms of the way I had to watch their offense three times in six days. Uh, <laughs> but, but really, Taylor Cornelius, like, that game was validation on top of me just falling in love with nathan rourke every time he touches the football and not just because he's canadian just because i love his game every time taylor cornelius touched the football i was like i know what's gonna happen man like i know exactly what your game is i don't need to see any more of you. i'm so angry at edmonton for not playing arbuckle at all like i just want i want to see i want to watch nick arbuckle play football it's not even like a what's the future or salary cap implications or what's his contract say it was like no put all of that stuff to the side I just wanted to watch him play football because I like watching Nick Arbuckle play football. And I despise watching Taylor Cornelius play football. But that game was validation where it's like he's trashed to start the game. He throws a bad interception. He's not doing anything. They take him out. In comes Dakota Prukop for a drive. Then they're like, you know what? Let's throw him back in there. First plays back in. He throws another interception. I'm like, stop. Stop. What are we doing? So anyways, uh, ha- happy offseason to Taylor Cornelius. Thanks for coming out. Appreciate you. Yeah
0: there's going to be a documentary made one day, hopefully about the uh, 2021 season for the Edmonton Elks, uh, because there are so many mistakes made management wise, coaching wise on the field wise that I'm like, I, I don't know where to start. And I have no idea where to end <laughs> Yeah, uh,
1: for all the angst I have for Taylor, Taylor Cornelius. I have so much love for Caleb Evans and Nathan work good on you guys. That, that was really fun to see like Friday night, final well, weekend of the regular season to be able to come out of that just like happy for people it's about as good as it can get because if there's yeah. not really stakes on the line it's nice to just cheer for people and those two guys i, I was championing caleb evans throughout the year just because i think he's got a fun skill set that you can work with and it, it was the whole idea of like Ooh, should we put in duck hodges because caleb hasn't been playing all that good i'm like how about you just let caleb play and develop because he has a big upside instead of just being like Here, let's try Duck Hodges and see how this works. It's like, no, I know how this works. I've seen this script a thousand times before. He's going to come in. He's going to throw some bad interceptions. He's going to be mediocre. There was a game. I think it was the Argos game in week uh, 14 or 15. It was on the Saturday afternoon in Ottawa where Duck Hodges had like 21 pass attempts. Seven of them were throwaways. (laughs) <laughs> like, like like, where he was throwing the ball out of bounds. And I was just thinking to myself when I was tracking that game and I realized this un- unusually high number of throwaways, I'm like, either he was being instructed by Lapo just to not get hurt because they didn't want to have to pay him an offseason, you know, February 1st bonus when he's dinged. Or he just, just doesn't want to be in the CFL, and he's just, every time that somebody's not open, he's like, I don't give a shit, just throws it away, <laughs> just, just, skips it into the turf, and just gets yeah. rid of it. But anyways, uh, if you want a more in-depth look at the West semifinal, Derek Taylor and I are going to have that for you as uh, his riders of on CKRM will have that covered for you. Uh, hope that you enjoyed the show today. As always, follow Kyle Mello at Kyle underscore Mello underscore. I'm at TSN underscore Marsh. And, uh, of course, give at CF Perspective a follow as well. As we ramp things up, headed towards the uh, 2021 CFL playoffs. Kyle, thanks for this, buddy. Hope you enjoyed your week. And uh, looking forward to seeing how this game shakes out. And uh, when's the next time I'll see you? The Grey Cup? (laughs) It's a great question. We live in the same city (laughs) and probably Grey Cup. (laughs)